brothers, sisters, siblings, and our friends at Elkton Magic in Elkton, Maryland. I'm Matt Donnelly. We're broadcasting from Show Creator Studios South or somewhere else. Because we are giving you part two of Penn sitting down with Chelsea and Sarah, chatting away the way they do on the Side Hustle podcast. Here's an exclusive version for our listeners. Here's Penn with Chelsea and Sarah. Hey, you guys. We're so glad that you were right here with us. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Oh, my gosh. I know this is like highly anticipated. Yeah. The much anticipated second half of our incredible Penn Gillette interview. We had so much fun talking with him and we were so excited to have the time, like that he gave us the time and honored, excited, thrilled, all of it. And so we we can't wait for you guys to hear the second part. I'm very good friends with um, Howard Kalin. And I, Howard Kalin was the lead singer for the Turtles, mm-hmm. which was Happy Together. Imagine me and you. Yeah. And yeah. Um, also Frank Zappa. Now, Frank Zappa was a huge hero of mine. He was everything to me, right? And when I was... Um, I have to I, say really quickly that uh, our car, when I was a little girl, was named Moon Unit. Really? After his child. Yeah, my parents thought it was funny. It was like a little Honda Civic. And it looked like it belonged on the moon. And so it was Moon Unit. So t- that's my Frank Zappa story. I will tell Moon that. <gasps> that oh. I oh. And I always was like, and to this day, I'm like, Moon Unit, that was my car. Yeah. That's really amazing. I I hope Moon would like that. Moon story. will Moon, I, Moon will Moon will love that. Yeah. Okay. Good. And um, I should have <laughs> learned everything here. Everything should have been learned here, but I I wasn't smart enough to realize. Um, when I was in high school, the Turtles with Happy Together, yeah. Eleanor, yeah, all those songs were absolute bullshit to me. That's fucking bullshit. That's fucking top ten terrible music these guys are hacks they have no talent they have nothing to say this is not art and frank zappa was the pinnacle Mm. this has integrity Mm, i mean this is this is he's he's referencing stravinsky verez 20th century classical he's a genius he doesn't give a fuck about anything his promo picture he's sitting on the toilet he's just uh, frank zappa was everything and the turtles were bullshit so it was the early 70s and i had just gotten my driver's license and so i was able to get out of greenfield because all i ever wanted in greenfield massachusetts was i wanted three things i wanted to be jewish i wanted to be gay and i wanted to live in new york city the only three things i wanted i wanted to get out i didn't want to be like lauren michaels i also wanted to be little i didn't want to be a big square-headed farmer and every time I'd listen to Lenny Bruce and he'd talk about, you know, these goys with their farms and he was talking about me. And yet I wanted oh. to be Lenny Bruce. So I wanted to be Lou Reed. Yeah. I wanted to be like five foot eight, <laughs> bisexual and wear sunglasses and leather jackets. And yet I was this big farm guy who talked like Benny. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so um, Frank Zappa was playing. Frank Zappa was playing in Boston. Now that's a two and a half hour drive from Greenfield. And so I'd have to drive all the way to Boston. The idea of parking had not even occurred to me. I oh. said to a police officer, where do we put your car? Because the idea that it was hard to find a place to park was completely foreign to me. But still to this day, I think it is for you too, though, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gas and parking, I think, are for it. I'm, I'm not good at those ever. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I forgot who I went with. I don't know, maybe a girlfriend at the time or something. But I drove to Boston to see the Mothers of Invention. Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, I was going to see them live. Yeah. And I had not even like seen a real show of any kind. And this was like a huge, huge deal. And I got in there and Chuck Berry opened for them. Wow. So That's I was seeing cool. I was seeing Chuck Berry. Yeah. And I'm saying and by the way, I've told this story to Howard Kalin and to Frank Zappa, because it was so, so important to me. I'm sitting there in the audience and Chuck Berry does this opening and I'm gonna see Frank Zappa. And the curtain goes up, and there in front of Frank Zappa are the two lead singers from the Turtles. What? And my whole world collides. Yeah. And they're singing all of Frank's material. And they're the turtles. And then right in the middle of the set, for no reason, Frank goes, well, we might as well do this. Imagine me and you. I do. <laughs> and they're doing the turtle songs, and it's Frank Zappa on guitar and the bass players from the turtles. And uh, I just went, oh, uh. how can how can Frank Zappa like and work with the people that I hate because of Frank Zappa. Yeah. And it was because they were really good singers. Yeah. <laughs> and that never crossed my mind right. that that was part of it. It was all just team sports, you know? Yeah. And still, yeah. even in the 90s, you know, uh, 20 years after I should have learned that and known it clearly, yeah. I was still kind of bridling against that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, then you see people who have degrees in uh, in in philosophy, mm. like Steve Martin, mm -hmm. who were mainstream mainstream yeah. comedy and still brilliant, yeah. and the Smothers Brothers, right, who were brilliant, and nowadays that whole thing is totally gone. There's no sense of of there being a intelligentsia. Although I guess that's kind of true. I guess there still is um, certain kinds of hip hop are not as hip as, you know, drum and bass or whatever. Right. Well, thing. And I yeah. guess the Korean stuff with the K-pop. K-pop. And I feel like, too, like in the last couple of years, especially like in like things I like, people still th say like, oh, that's basic. Like liking Taylor Swift, you're basic. Right. It's something like something you look down upon. It. But then I'm also like, I've embraced it. I'm basic. I like it. Mm -hmm. And like there's something to it. You like what you like. And that's. I like. Well, I don't even yeah. know if you like what you like. I, I it's I real I started to realize, well, you know, all the stuff that I was listening to and going to see was all marketing. Yeah. You know, the Sex Pistols were marketed as a counter thing. You know, yeah. It, it, it's incredible to me when you look back on it that the Beatles were marketed as counterculture. Right. And the Beatles were culture. And the most insane thing is Howard Stern was seen as some sort of outlaw. Yeah. And he was the most popular person in the history of radio. Right. <laughs> and yet people were pretending, fans of his, yeah. millions of fans of his were pretending, oh, you know, Howard. I'm the only mm, one. No one else no. digs Howard. Everyone yeah. wants to feel like Except they've discovered everybody. something, I think. Yeah. yeah. And they also want to feel like they're part of the in-group. Yeah. So yeah. for yeah. me... Uh, you know, we did a we did a Pizza Hut commercial, yeah, and Hollywood Squares, and then yeah. everything else. And then I switched entirely, and I started essentially answering the phone with "Yes, I will." You know, I, and I, I will do anything now. There was <laughs> there was two other things that happened. A guy by the name of Joel Fishman, 
who's the reason we're in Vegas. He died last year too. Yeah. Um, Joel Fishman was in charge of entertainment uh, in, in Atlantic City. We were playing off-Broadway. And he was in charge of Atlantic City at the Trump Castle, or one of the Trump names. Yeah. yeah, I know, horrible. I one, know. Of the, one of the Trump name properties. It's like instinctual, I make a face. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, it was, it was horrible, and he ruined those properties yep. and didn't pay anybody. He were, it was yep. terrible. Yep. Everybody was terrible. And he was just, you know, Trump at that time, I knew him, he was just a dipshit. Yeah. yeah. Just this fuckhead. You know, yeah. he's a dipshit. He's still those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other thing that's most important to always say about Trump over and over again is not smart. Stupid. Yeah. And people try to say he's got this Machiavellian. Yeah, but he's so smart. No, true, no, 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 no. Anyway. Yeah. So Joel came to us and said, I'd like you to play Atlantic City. Yeah. And we said, uh, oh, <laughs> I think you got the wrong guys. Did you ever see our show? Our, you know, we're smart guys. You know, the New Yorker talks about how smart we are. You know, um, <laughs> we, uh, we're doing an off-Broadway show. Yeah. We're not a Broadway <laughs> yeah. show. We don't. We don't we don't do Broadway. We don't do, we don't do, Broadway. We, we don't do yeah. Las Vegas. We, you know, we're in the same theater building with Steppenwolf. Yeah. They're <laughs> upstairs doing orphans. We're downstairs doing Penn and Teller. Yeah. Yeah. That that's our peers. Yeah. And we are, we're not going to play Atlantic, Atlantic city. city. And you know, what do you think? We're going to, we're going to change our jokes. He said, no, no, I was thinking you would do exactly the show you're doing here. And I went, well, we couldn't do this show here. We've got silent bits. We've got yeah. monologue bits uh, without magic in them. Uh, no. And he said, I'll make a deal with you. You come down to Atlantic City. You try to be assholes. Do the stuff that you think will go least well in Las Vegas. I will book you for five days. Mm -hmm. In Atlantic City. For Atlantic City. Yeah. For more money than you've ever made. And you go out and do the first night and the second night. If you don't like it, just split. I'll pay you for the full week. I'll put someone else yeah. in. Yeah. Well. And he said, and do your smartest stuff. Yeah. Prove me wrong. And we went, well, yeah, uh, all right. I mean, and it's money. We yeah. went down, <laughs> and um, it wasn't the same kind of audience as New York. Yeah. It was the same audience as New York. Some of the same people. You know, yeah. oh, we saw you in New York. Yeah, oh, yeah, we heard you were here. It was the exact same of people. Of course. And totally. then shortly after that, we got booked at uh, Grossinger's, you know, one of these. Um, it's like in the Catskills? Catskills. Like, yeah. Okay. I don't want to interrupt your story, but Please. I relate to you so much in the fact that I went to summer camp in the Catskills. I went to a theater camp called Stage Door. Uh, and my dearest wish when I was like 13 was to be Jewish because all my girlfriends were having bat mitzvahs. And I remember my mom sitting me down and being like, you can't convert to only have a party. And I was like, I just really feel it. I feel Jewish. And so, But I know exactly what you're talking about because I was in a traveling kids show and we went around and we performed. It was called Our Time Cabaret. And oh, I had a solo, so and whatever. And you, you had a solo. <laughs> you did, yeah. yeah. Okay, but continue. Sorry, Penn. And, and Grossinger said we want yeah. Penn and Teller. Yeah. And we said we won't. We won't play there. We'll just we'll just tank there. And then Teller had this, you know, revelation where he said, "If they're putting up the money, yeah, maybe they know more about it than we do." That's it. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're deciding that we would probably go. It's not our they job. Yeah. It's yeah. not our job. Our job, and we would pick where we thought we would be. Yeah. We finally said, not our job at all. So then, I mean, to, to tie it all up, uh, Joel Fishman moved to Vegas and was in charge of C uh, Caesars. Yeah. And called us up and said, okay, boys, now we're going to Vegas. 
And we went, oh, I don't think face it. Shut up. <laughs> you know, we don't need to go through this. You yeah, played Atlantic yeah. City for four years. Yeah. You don't need to. We don't need to even talk about yeah. this. You're really going to go through this over Vegas? Yeah. And we went, I, I, but isn't it like Danny Gann's shit and just <laughs> terrible? And he went, just get the fuck out here. Yeah. But so the side hustle thing has always been a problem for me. Yeah. I've never really grown up from, boy, I'd like to be Frank Zappa, and if I accidentally become Wayne Newton. <laughs> I mean, that is, oh. if you were to, you know, wake me up in the middle of the night, not implying anything with matter or anything, but <laughs> if you were to wake me up in the middle of the night and say, you know, are you Frank Zappa or Wayne Newton, I'd probably break down and cry. <laughs> But I do feel like I that, don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Uh, do I have to pick? I think like your tagline is like Pendulette accidental celebrity because it was like never your intention, no, I, we, and yet here you are. When we it's were like, uh, when we went to Broadway, I remember People Magazine uh, doing this article on us, and they said, "So now your dream, you're on Broadway." And like, I said, "No, I don't mean bitch. to be. I don't mean to be disrespectful, <sighs> but I never at once, including." Six months ago, <laughs> wanted to go to Broadway. Yeah. It never even crossed yeah. my mind. You want to be Frank Zappa. Yeah. That's but it wasn't it. even that. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. it never crossed my mind. Yeah. It wasn't. See, that's different than the Frank Zappa thing. It wasn't that I was too hip for Broadway. It just was never one of my goals. Yeah. It was not on the list of things right. to do. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you said, you know, do you want to be the fastest person at picking coffee in Colombia? I would say, well, I, no. I, yeah. it would, do you think there's something wrong with that? No. no I, I just never yeah, thought yeah. of it. I understand. I'm sure there's a guy who's really good at it, but it's yeah. not me. Yeah. And they'd say, well, you know, you were struggling for all these years. And i go, no, I, I've been making, my dad was a jail guard, and I've been making more yeah, money than my dad since I was 20. You know? Yeah. So I was really happy making yeah. a middle-class living, as you know, yeah. in the arts. That's the end of the goal. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to say is yeah. just going to work, yeah. just showing up, yeah. right? And we talk about that a lot is like a lot of times, uh, especially when you're young and working in entertainment, you think like being famous is like the end goal. But the reality is success in entertainment is working. And mm -hmm. I remember, again, like my first job as a, when I was 19, I worked at Dollywood. I went back and did those shows. And I remember they were paying me $65 a day to do five shows a day, singing and dancing. And I was like, I will never ask for anything else in yeah. this world. And we got a meal. Yeah. I was like, and a Dollywood meal, meal which means biscuits. Like literally chicken. Biscuits. <laughs> biscuits. Biscuits. Need I say about. more. You yeah. guys, yeah. I have terrible news. Oh, you have to go. I have to go. Yeah. I want to stay here all day and I want this to be a 19 hour podcast. Well, we could keep going. We could. And we will. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Just imagine nothing is happening right now. Okay. Okay. In the middle of the Hollywood squares, mm -hmm. Because we were never the middle. We were always You were always on a corner? Yeah. Upper left. And because you were so tall, they wanted to keep you up high? You know, I actually got Martin Mull, who I consider to be one of the uh, lowest key and smart people ever. I got him to turn into dad. I got him to turn into dad. He was in the middle square, and I got the idea with somebody else, some other crazy person, not Little Richard, but another crazy person, that it would be really funny if we could tip over the Hollywood squares because it actually is it's not done digitally there's you actually go upstairs yeah. and sit in those things so I started no you didn't rocking back and forth and getting other people to do it in rhythm and it was great to hear Martin Mull go hey stop that now <laughs> not a bit 
Not a not bit. Not a bit. Just not dab. Not an improv. Just, just dab. Knock it off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he thought I might really tip the whole thing over. Well, you might have. I might have. You, that, that's kind of what you were going for. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I thought it would be an amazing thing to see. That's performance art. Yeah, you know, that, that, that guy, would have been rock and roll. He, he tipped over yeah. the Hollywood Squares, yeah. killed five people. <laughs> killed five five uh, professional people. <laughs> he, the, the, the... Killed little Richard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> killed, yeah killed, 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 uh, killed Joan Rivers. He, oh, yeah. Um, but that's the other thing. Who is, who was, smarter and hipper than Joan Rivers? Took me a long time to realize that. Well, but I mean, if you wanted to talk, I was so upset. When Gilbert got busted or fired from um, from Aflac for uh, the jokes he made about the Japanese tsunami, which was insane because when he made the jokes, the tsunami wasn't that bad. He made them before that. Right. And Aflac fired him, not because he was racist, but because he was being paid a lot and they could use this press opportunity to get someone to do an impersonation of him much cheaper, much cheaper, rip off his whole image and get away with it because he was now considered this racist guy. During that time, people were giving him the same kind of um, half-assed defense I just gave, giving those other reasons behind it. And I so miss Joan Rivers because when Joan Rivers was ever asked about a comic going too far, she would say, that's the job. That's what they should do. They have the liberty all the time. Just go, just push the line. And Joan Rivers was like the only one, uh, George Carlin, but Joan Rivers never even slightly modulated that position. You know, no one was more behind Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Boom. Joan Rivers was always there going, yeah. go, go. Go, go. Go further. Fast. Yeah, yeah. And she never got as much credit for that because she was a woman. Right. So people didn't notice that she was the baddest motherfucker of them all. Yeah. That's that's the thing that gets me so angry about Phyllis Diller, who's a friend of mine, and uh, Joan Rivers. Is the It's kind of like what um, some of the African-American movement did to um, Louis Armstrong saying that he was a bit of an Uncle Tom and he played into the stereotypes. And Miles Davis said that a lot. Whereas in reality, uh, for civil rights, Louis Armstrong did more than, than the, others, the other entertainers put together. Not more than Martin Luther King, but, you know, did a lot for that. Yeah. By working in this weird way and, and feminists will some self-proclaimed feminists will sometimes say, well, you know, Phyllis Diller was playing into all the female stereotypes and she put herself down. Yes. And she was a peer with Bob Hope who also put himself down. She was playing the game exactly the way they did. And she was, she was setting up everything yeah. for what would come later without Phyllis Diller and without Joan Rivers, you do not have Sarah Silverman you, and everyone else and that Chelsea comes Handler and yeah, all, You don't have yeah, any of them. Any of those, yeah. And now the newer ones, Eliza Schlesinger and all, and and yeah. Nikki Glaser. And I think so much of it is even being smart and educated is youth, right? Is this mm-hmm. as you as you grow and start to understand things at a different place? You even for you who wasn't somebody who wanted to. Um, necessarily you didn't dream of broadway you didn't dream of selling out to huge stadiums you 
yeah. dreamed of just doing the work of getting yeah. making what you could make to do that show. But there's that moment that clicks for you a little bit that goes, oh, showbiz is just showbiz. Yeah. Right. And and but which you never had to even think about because you were brought up with that as, as an absolute uh, truth. Yeah. That never. What I'm saying must be completely foreign to you. But you understand, not only did I never, the first person I met in show business was me. <laughs> Nobody else. Yeah. I didn't meet one person in Greenfield that earned their living except the people that worked at the movie theater and sold popcorn. Yeah. There was nobody. Nobody. I mean, we didn't even, I guess we did have a dance school mm-hmm. where there's someone who's teaching dance to children who in some way is earning their living in show business. Right. But I didn't know them, you know? Yeah. And I always, you know, I'm good friends with Stephen Banks, Billy the Mime, yeah. who grew up in Glendale. So at birthday parties, when he was like 12, somebody's friend's father knew Vincent Price. Yeah. Who would show up at a birthday party. I was just going to say, or is the uncle or is the dad or is picking up the kid or whatever um, at the birthday party. If I'd have seen someone in show business uh, when I was 16, I would have passed out. The idea the idea that, that Johnny Carson existed somewhere other than on TV was completely foreign to me. Never met one yeah. person. And, you know, um, the women that I knew that were my age had at least the groupy stuff, you know, because they were, you know, fuckable and 17 or 18, they could get backstage because the rock stars wanted to bang them. Right, right. And by the way, I know that's terrible and awful and terrible, but the ones that I happen to know loved it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I will tell you right now, Yeah. if I could have gotten backstage at the mothers, I would have blown anybody <laughs> and really happy. Yeah. Really happy about it. But for you, you knew, well, you knew your mother who was in show business. And my grandmother. And your grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't understand what it's like to have that be something incredibly distant. Well, right. I don't understand the getting from Greenfield to street performing in San Francisco, mm-hmm. how that connects and how how you think, uh, how you see Frank Zappa, but then say, I want to learn to juggle. Well, that was, it was very, very simple. I, uh, I wanted very much to be in the arts. I did not have a chance, did not even leave it as an open possibility. And then I heard the first Beatles bootleg record. And I went, Oh, this this is them fucking up. Oh, they they fuck up. See, I thought they went to the studio and played the records all the way through perfectly, and I thought they get an idea. And I'm still crippled by this, by the way. Getting an idea in your head and then putting it on stage. I'm not good at working through things and changing them because I think there's a purity of the idea. Mm-hmm. Still fucked by that. When I first listened to the bootlegs, I went, oh, so there. I, there's this great story of Pavarotti working with U2. So U2 used Pavarotti on one song. And Pavarotti was in the studio. And they were doing different takes. And and he went, you're just making this up. Because, of course, for Pavarotti, that's an entirely new thing. Yeah. He'd never been not, not able to go back to the text. Yeah. And no one ever said to him, let's try that second verse in place of the first. Who's going to say that? 
Well, the, I worked with Tommy DeVito, uh, who was one of the fourth seasons. Uh-huh. When we were doing Jersey Boys, he would come to the show often, and he was always looking, he's still always looking to put a band together. So he called up some of the girls and said, hey, can you come sing back up on this guy's record? I'm like, sure. And we got there, and I said, where's the sheet music? No sheet music. You're just going to listen, and you'll find some parts, and then you sing it. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was the first time that I had ever come across. You were Pavarotti. I, I was Pavarotti. <laughs> Where is my sheet music? Oh, no, they're, this is going to go terribly wrong. And then you just do it. They would just do it. And that, to me, was kind of wild. Yeah. So I'm 12. Yeah. And I love music more than anything. And I love comedy more than anything. And I'm listening to Lenny Bruce all the time, yeah. memorizing it. And um, listen to, to Zappa and Bob Dylan and Beatles all the time. And I go, boy, I'd, I'd like to do something in show business, but uh, I'm not good looking. Um, I don't have perfect pitch. I don't sing well. Uh, I can't go into a field where I'm competing with Bob Dylan and Frank Zappa. I can't compete with the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed. I can't do any of that. So I'll learn to juggle and I'll get really good. And my thought was, you got to be a good enough juggler. And the art talent scouts came around and said, oh, you're one of the best jugglers in the world. Come work with us. I just thought that happened automatically. (laughs) So I practiced, practiced, you know, five, six hours a day, seven days a week, and got to be a really good juggler. And on the way, I started doing shows. Like we'd get $10 to a show at a nursing home. Then we started doing talent shows and winning them all. When you say we, uh, me and Mike Motion, okay. who would end up being the um, MacArthur Genius Grant juggler, and also very hoity-toity juggler, also from Greenfield. Yeah, next door neighbor. I, although he, if you look on his Wikipedia page, he denies this. I taught him to juggle, and uh, I mean, I'd learned two days earlier, but I did <laughs> teach him. And um, his brother Colin Motion, we were called the toss-ups. Because we thought the throw-ups was not, that was my opening <laughs> joke. Um, ties in with the uh, USS Constitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started doing juggling shows, and we would like play in a God of David in the background, and we would juggle. And our routines were, you know, do three in one hand, three in the other. It was like rehearsal stuff. And then we went to uh, there was a talent show in um, in Boston called uh, uh, Community Auditions. My mom drove us to be on that, and we were such punks. Oh, we were such punks. You know, we had long hair and jeans and T-shirts, and told this story a lot, but I I remember um, Colin, one of the guys that I was juggling with, we did our rehearsal. He was, um, I mean, he was probably on the spectrum somewhere. Very odd fellow, but a very good juggler. Mm, Those don't contradict each other. (laughs) And uh, the director said, Okay, that was good. Let's just try that again. And Colin said, we didn't drop anything. We did it perfectly. We won't do it again because you made a mistake. He said, no, I just want to see it again. He went, no, we made no drops. (laughs) And he also said, at the end of your bit, you can't just throw the props down, put your hands in your pockets, and look out at the camera. You look like punks. And Colin said, we are punks. He said, well, just give us a smile. We said, no. We don't smile. Was your mom there for this? Yeah. My mom didn't know anything about show business. Yes. And then we, uh, I told my mom, 
they did votes calling in. Yeah. I said, and you're not, you're not going to call in and your friends aren't going to call in. That, that's just so jive. Don't do that. And then we won. And then they did it again for the next month and they called up, which is really funny. And they said, you won, so you're going to be on again. But we thought we would just broadcast the same tape. You don't have to come. To- <laughs> they just hated us. <laughs> they we, just didn't want you there. We won the whole year. Punks. So I have a huge trophy at my parents' house, community auditions, star of the day, the toss-ups. I still have that. And we started doing talent shows, and Colin would get very mad if I booked a talent show and it was just a trophy at the end. He would actually walk on stage and go, I thought it was money. Penn, you said we were going to do any more that weren't money, and then storm off stage. That's what a you know, junior high kid is saying on stage. And I would um, say, hi, we're the toss-ups. We used to be the throw-ups, but that name didn't work. We're going to do some juggling for you. That was the first six months. Then I started doing longer introductions. <laughs> and I started doing jokes while we were juggling. Yeah. Which the other guys in the group were just like, why are you, why are you doing why? jokes? Yeah, yeah. What are you doing that for? Yeah. And then turned out that we were doing a half-hour show and probably 10 minutes was me talking. <laughs> and then... Uh, I had a girlfriend in high school, and we were going to move to Paris and be writers. And then she broke up with me, uh, and her father was very disgusted because I wasn't going to go to college. And the whole town, I had rather good SATs, and I wasn't going to go to college. And everybody was upset with me. And I applied to Clown College, which was very hard to get into at the time, down in Florida. And I was the youngest person there. It was an amazing revelation because I used to read National Lampoon, listen to Lenny Bruce, and I tried to talk to my friends about comedy. And they would go, you don't talk about this, just listen to it and laugh. And I go, no, I, I think it's interesting. I got down there with 40 people who were talking about comedy and thought about comedy. And I went, wow, that's something. And then I left Clown College. I did not go with Ringling Brothers. They offered me a contract. I didn't think I wanted to go with the circus because I'd never been physically funny. So I went. But were uh, you learning that as part of of Clown Yeah, I did wire walking and trapeze and uh, I, I remedial makeup. I wasn't good and uh, building props and uh, they brought me in because I was a really good juggler and I believe the plan was we can hire this guy at Clown Wages and get a juggler and get a juggler. You know, you know it's it's all business. Yep, yep. But I didn't go. And they were mad at me for that, and I just um, I'd already been hitchhiking. I just started hitchhiking and juggling in bars and on the streets to make enough money to eat. And then, you know, they're jail and hopping, hopping uh, trains and, uh, you know, biker clubs and, you know, playing biker bars and going out with three balls and going, hey, I'm going to do some juggling. <laughs> and this was, this was after Clown College. Yeah. And you're by yourself at this point. Yeah. You don't have any, yeah. any partners. Yeah, no. And I, I tried a few things. People and when you when when you would call your when you would call home to say I'm okay, I would call I uh, that I don't understand how this happened. My mom and dad were completely supportive of me, and I called my mom and my dad every. I talked to them every day that our lives overlapped. Did not miss one. There was never a day I didn't talk to them. So when I was living on the streets homeless. I call my mom every day, talk, tell her I was okay. Da, 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 da. I don't know how it worked out that way. I had my passport with me. I had a hundred dollars sewn into my backpack 
for emergencies. I knew my mom and dad would let me fly home anytime I wanted to, but I never used any of those things. I had a note from my mom and dad that I wasn't a runaway. I did everything. I did it as I did all the irresponsible things as responsibly as you could. And then um, one of the guys from Kyle College, I, at this point, I got to be a very good street performer. So I. Well, walking in a biker bar with three balls <laughs> might be part of this. Yeah, I got good at being a street performer yeah. and working for tips, which was really weird because I was making like, this is in the 70s. I was able to make like two or three thousand dollars in a weekend. Whoa! And still sleeping on the streets. So when I say homeless, it's very confusing because I was really wealthy. <laughs> but was it you? You just liked sleeping on the streets. Well, I you just, just didn't, couldn't. Hadn't settled down. You didn't commit to anything. Around. Yeah. And then we got a job. The the, the uh, toss ups became the Tomescos, which is Latin for hard ons. Uh, and we worked at Great Adventure in New Jersey, and we got a job there juggling uh-huh. and then i met teller i met teller when i was still in high school but then i met teller after that right and i called up teller and there was a minnesota renaissance festival and one of the guys there i'd been to clown college with and he got this idea that actually changed renaissance festivals entirely they were always like professors who were studying that period and jeff siegel called me up and said you know Penn, you're one of the best street performers i've ever seen come out and do the renaissance festival and I said, I don't know anything about doing a Renaissance Festival. And he said, all I want is someone who's really good. And he said, just put ye old at the top of it and come out and do it. So I said to Teller, do you want to come out? And Teller said, well, I'm, I'm a tenured high school teacher. Teller's seven years older than me. I'm a tenured high school teacher. And I said, uh, oh, well, I got this gig. And he said, when does it start? And I said, it starts in August. He said, great, I can do it. And I said, it ends in October. And he went, oh, I have to be back at school. And I said, well, you know. I thought you were a magician, not a school teacher. Goodbye. And he called up an hour later and said, um, okay, I'll take, a ye- I'll take a year of absence. And, and he did, which is still on, by the way. He still <laughs> has the letter that says he can go back. And we went out and played the uh, Minnesota Renaissance Festival and then came back and teamed up with Weir and started doing the Asparagus Valley Cultural Society at uh, Princeton University. And then we were working streets. So I was, you know, there's that joke about the jazz musician who wins the lottery. And they say, what are you going to do? And he says, well, I guess I'll keep working until the money runs out. <laughs> and uh, it was very much like that. Yeah. I would street perform, make money, and pour it all into our theater show. I'd buy the lights, I'd buy the sound, I'd buy everything. And I made this rule because I was very romantic about uh, show business. Mm-hmm. And I said, we're going to team up. And we will not do any jobs out of show business, no matter what. We are just going to work on this because that will keep us going. And I do not think that people who do other jobs and do show business on the side, I don't think they ever really do anything. So we're going to just do this. The Beatles didn't have other jobs. Bob Dylan didn't have other jobs. We're just going to go. Now, what made that really funny was the other two guys in the group could actually get other jobs. <laughs> right. I had no chance. I had no skill. I'd been a dishwasher was the pinnacle yeah. of my ability to do a regular job. They both had degrees from Amherst College. <laughs> they, 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 they could get real jobs. Yeah. Uh, but I made that rule and we stuck to it, which meant that we worked like children's prisons. We would children's work prisons. anywhere. 
anywhere that there was a gig, we would work. Yeah. Uh, we would. I remember Philadelphia 76, the bicentennial Philadelphia had street performers, and they paid us $75 a show. We could do four shows a day. And that was our entire income for that whole year. And we did several shows where there was no one in the audience. I don't mean a small audience, no one. And we were told with our contract, we didn't have to go on. But if we didn't go on, we didn't get paid. Uh, so in the pouring rain with nobody there, because of our integrity, we were not going to lie to them. We would do a full 45-minute show with nobody there. Nobody there in pouring rain. We'd be out there. We didn't do the exact same show. Well, it's more <laughs> of a rehearsal at this point. It might have been yeah. a little bit of jamming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I'd, I'd learned to juggle because I, I just didn't think and still don't think that I had the, um, you know, the looks and talent to be a musician, which is all I ever really wanted. At this t today, at this point in your life, you don't think you have the looks or talent to be a musician, even though that you've been proven wrong? Uh, yeah, um, but the only reason I got to be a passable bass player was by having the money from doing magic to be able to hire Jonesy and play every night. Mm. If you want to be an actor, wherever you're from, you need to be the best looking person in your high school. Uh, you need to be the most talented in your high school. There are character actors and stuff like that. That's not entirely true. But, you know, I don't know anything about sports, but the few sports people I've met, I've just asked them for fun. If they're like a football player, I say, in your high school, were you playing baseball and track and basketball? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I was the best at all those. You go, there wasn't anybody in your school better at any sport than you, right? Right. So there were people in my high school who had better ears for music and were better musicians than me. And I was just thinking, you know, if I can't win with these 300 rubes, <laughs> In Western Massachusetts, yeah. what's going to happen when I get to New York City? It's not going to be pretty because all the people who are the best in their high schools yeah. are showing up there. So I won't have a chance, you know? Yeah. And we all know, I mean, it's different because you're from Southern California, but actors that I know in Hollywood that are working actors, you ask them, were you, were you the... Best performer in your high school? Yeah. Yeah. Lead in every single play. Right. Musicals, non-musicals. <laughs> Did you win every talent show? Yes. Yeah. 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 You don't ever have them going, mm, yeah. no, no Johnny Depp's of... not going. Yeah. I always wanted to be the good looking one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean? that doesn't come up. You know, Tom Hanks is not going, man, there were some really good actors in my high school. No, he's not. But but I think you and Matt even talked about this once. It's also just doing, just going, showing up. Yeah, well, that's a big part of it. But I didn't understand any of that. Yeah. And I was also, that's the crazy thing. I was saying, am I funnier than Johnny Carson now? Mm. No. No. Mm -hmm. Am I a better musician than Bob Dylan now? No. Do I have better ideas for a band than Lou Reed? No. no. So I was putting myself up. I guess it's what they're saying is a psychological problem 
with the world now is that high school students are comparing themselves to everybody on TikTok. Right. Well, I was already doing that. Right. I was just going, you know, if you decide that you want to write about love, you're going to go up against Shakespeare. Just know that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's talked about love. <laughs> That's who you're competing with. Yeah. But if you yeah. want to do a stupid magic trick, yeah. David Copperfield, that's who you're competing with. You can take him on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't there's never been yeah. anything in the Panatella repertoire that talks about love. We don't ever talk about love. You know why? We're not the best at it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even card tricks. Yeah. Don't do many of them. We're not the best. Yeah. There's other guys. We will pick stuff where no one wants to compete with us. <laughs> we want to f- direct, no obstacles, straight ahead. Yeah. Who who we got to go up against? Chris Angel, David Copperfield. Oh, okay. Great. I'll do that. Yeah. Bob Dylan, Shakespeare. Oh, no. Nope, no, no, back no, no, off. no, 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 no. But everything's different for you because you were around people that you understood. You know, here's Aunt Mary. She's, yeah. she's okay. Yeah. She's not great. She's all fine. She did a good job. She made a living in show business. Yeah. What a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, and, and my grandmother on my dad's side was famous and in movies mm-hmm. as a star. Sure. But Rose and Mary were not. They just showed. And my mom was never the lead in a musical. Mm-hmm. She did a lot of Broadway shows, but she was, oh, and movies as a dancer, but she was a dancer. Mm-hmm. And and I hesitate to say just a dancer, but that's really, I mean, go, right. look at any of the movies and, that are even right now. But you understood. When I first said to my dad, I wanted to go into show business. Yeah. The thing he said to me, and it's so hard to get his tone. My relation, my father and mother were perfect. So this tone is not a negative tone. It just shows where I was from. My dad said, you think you're Johnny Carson? I said, well, there's other people that work in show business. Yeah. You know, he has writers and stuff. My dad said, no, he doesn't. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> You know, my dad thought that Johnny Carson walked out cold and did that whole show on his own. And that's how good I thought I would be. He didn't know there was another job. Yeah. You know, if I want to do something in comedy, well, you think that Johnny Carson's sick one night, you go on the next night and you're that good. Yeah, yeah. Well, geez, Pat, that's going to be hard. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and do you feel at all like... There was any any sense of um, wanting to make them proud. Well, sure, showbiz. Sure, I wanted to make my parents proud, but it was very hard. They, you know, they couldn't understand yeah. anything. I mean, we were opening on Broadway, and I sent a limo for them. And they came down and Times Square, and my picture up, and yeah. all this stuff. New York Times reviews, and my my mom and dad were like, "Whoa, I guess that's pretty good." You know, <laughs> I, guess I remember when I took him to see Saturday Night Live, you know, we were on, we were regulars for one year and uh, took him down one show to see Saturday Night Live and did the show and they sat there and all they talked about for the next two weeks was meeting Robin Williams. <laughs> Robin was there because Robin sat with him for the whole show oh, and made okay. jokes about growing, raising a magician and raising a juggler. And he was just Robin yeah. all over the way, coked off his mind. Robin's all, you know, all over the yeah. place. And they were like, oh, that Robin Williams was so nice. Mom, I was on I was, set. I did the show. <laughs> I was there. Robin was yeah. so nice. So nice. Yeah. And my, my dad also said, which I really love. He said, um, I, we did one show where I wasn't juggling. Of course, this show now I'm not, but it was early on. I did one show wasn't juggling. My dad saw it and said afterwards, 
you should do that juggling because it lets people know that you know how to do something. I said, well, Dad, um, I'm, I'm doing all the monologues. Yeah. And my dad said, I guess people are impressed that you can memorize all of that. But the juggling, they can really see you could do something. All said, sweet. Yeah. No, but but I and you can understand it when you say it when yeah. you when you tell the story of him saying Johnny Carson, yeah. right? You can understand where him where he's just looking at a show, going, "Well, I guess, right? <laughs> You're just up there talking, so yeah. I guess I guess that's something." Yeah. But boy, but when the he juggles, really yeah. shows your talent. And this also sums up my dad beautifully. My dad was always very worried about me financially because I hadn't gone to college. Mm-hmm. And I was playing on Broadway, and I, I was desperate to show my dad I was okay, didn't have to worry about me. So I showed him uh, my tax returns, and I showed him a check that I got. And my dad, nothing. And then my dad asked me, we were just talking over coffee. My dad asked me, he said, uh, so the Robbie, who's been working with you for all these years, uh, what does he get paid? And I said, uh, I, I don't know. Then I gave him a ballpark figure. There was a long pause. My dad said, that's more than I ever made a week in my life. And he works for you. And I said, yeah. And he went, I guess you're doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) That that was it. That was it. That was it. That's a really beautiful moment. I should say I was 40 at the time. I mean, this is not like I'm 26 years old. I was probably 40. But to his credit, yeah. right? <laughs> he got there. You know, that's really beautiful. <laughs> he got there. He understood. He got, yeah, he understood that. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 again, it is it is so foreign sometimes when you speak to people about about show business. So for him to get there is is um, really lovely. Well, we could keep talking forever. We could, but we could. But, but you, but, but you can't. I wouldn't have rehearsal. You, then I'll be fired yeah, from the job. By your, be, from yourself? There'll be nothing but a side hustle. <laughs> then your side hustle will be just doing this podcast yeah, with us. Yeah, that's, it'll be it. Well, thank you, Penn. I'm going to try to sit up. Now I'm sitting up. I adore you. Step, this is stand up. Yeah, okay. Well, boy, what a pleasure to talk to you. Too bad we had to have microphones. But that was good. It was good. It was okay. great. It was better than good. It was great. That was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. You become naked. You know, we love you. Hey, Matt, you got anybody to thank? Time to thank some of the people who support us over at patreon.com slash pen. Thank you to people like Daniel, a couple of weeks old, but I wonder if the Pornhub magician is Chris Angel. David K. Blue Drinks Films says, clear your cookies, baby. Brandon Knapp, Nick Dingman, Colin Durham, Lancey Minshew, Stephen White, Michelle Yeiser, Broken Hastings, Placida Scott, Damian Martin, Adam Luce is happy to hear Penn's ear is on the mend. Timo Tehoff, Mark Pickenheim, Scott Kelly, Adam Bersons, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, 
Carlos Alvarez, Nicholas Emerson, Michael Cornwall, Ross Devereaux, Rue Dudley, Ryan Matthews, Jeff Bacher, Impossibilities Magic Show in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Michael Torbay, Ilan Lee, Jacob McCulley, Nicole Martin, Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Music Man, No Thank You Daddy, and Rachel Hawkins. Thank you so much.